Well, if you'd open your Bibles back up to Matthew chapter 1, as we continue our Christmas uh, series, I have to say this is uh, an awesome church to celebrate Christmas, and if you notice, it kind of is very Christmassy here. And uh, we have the poinsettias and the carpet and the red and all. It's awesome. We have our Christmas Eve service coming up at 5 on Christmas Eve. You want to be here. It's just a great time of singing carols and hearing the scriptures about our Savior's coming. And um, at the end, we have the, the candlelight singing of, of uh, Silent Night. It's always wonderful. So we'd love to have you. Great way to start off the evening. It's early at 5, so you can come with your family and still have the, uh, the family celebrations on Christmas Eve. So we'd love to have you. Well, it's hard for me to believe, that, as it kind of happens faster every year, that, that Christmas is upon us again. Uh, it's, I can't believe it's just a few weeks away. My wife and I are frantically trying to get some of our shopping and things like that done. But, you know, one of the things that I, I always love about this time of year is just the, uh, the atmosphere, the, the feeling of Christmas that kind of just gets out there. You know, everybody starts decorating in their yards. You can go through Manitou Park, and the, the lights are incredible right now. And uh, I know at my family, we had our, our uh, decorating party, right, where I put the tree up and break out the ornaments, and the kids have a great time looking at the ornaments they made when they were kids and putting them on the tree. And we get the stockings up. Mom brings over good food to eat, and uh, we get some cider going. It's just that time of year where the atmosphere is great. You go downtown and the twinkly lights are up and the uh, weird Christmas specials are on TV. There was one the other night with uh, NSYNC and, uh, and uh, New Kids on the Block. And my kids were like, who are those old men? And I was like, that's Bobby Brown, come on. But, you know, it's just a great, the, the atmosphere that gets out there, people are in a kind of a good mood. And the kids, the anticipation, uh, they are so excited. All we need right now this year, I think, is some snow to come and blanket everything to bring that wonder land, the atmosphere, the feeling of Christmas. But what we, I think, is, is a stark contrast to that feeling that I love and that I've loved since I was a kid is, is actually the first Christmas, the atmosphere at the first Christmas. Look at the first verses of our text. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her sh to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. That's the, that's the feeling of, of the first Christmas. It, it, the only anticipation in the air was the anticipation of divorce. The atmosphere at the first Christmas was one, as was leading up to Christmas, was one of hurt and sadness, sense of betrayal, relational disaster, brokenness. It's not, how, it's not how we think of it, right? With our nativity scenes and pageants, you notice this part's never in the pageant. It's not how you think Matthew would want to begin his Christmas story. 
especially if it's just a fictional story, you know, made up to make us feel good, like most people think. This is not how you would start it. No, if it was a made-up story, we know exactly what it would be. It would have magical deer and elves and a man in a red suit who gives gifts. If you're making it up. But Matthew is dealing with reality. He's telling us what really happened, the, the real Christmas story. And it starts out awful. Think about the situation. Think about Joseph. His heart has just been ripped out. Here's this ordinary country guy, a carpenter from a small town who's about to marry the love of his life. A young sweet girl named Mary. They're betrothed, which is, which is more than an engagement. It's a marriage contract, considering you know, it's considered a commitment for life. It's legally binding. They are about to begin their whole life together. He is all in. She's all in. Their families have grown close and are planning the big wedding festival. The whole town has had their eyes on this young couple. They've watched them grow up together. And then out of nowhere, the worst news ever. Mary is pregnant. Joseph doesn't know what happened, but he knows he wasn't involved. What has she done? How could she do this? He, he thought she loved him. This can't be true, but, but it is. She's found to be with child. I don't know if her mother found out or if she told him, but it, it, it's true. And the worst part of it is that when he's trying to find out what happened, her explanation, she says, God did it. <laughs> it's from the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that? You're trying. You want to believe her, but you... Really? You can't? You can't. That's, that's crazy. Maybe she's just lost it. She can't deal with what she's done or what's been done to her, and, and she's lost it. And think of Mary. She's been given the most incredible news from God, from an angel, from God, but of course, sharing it with the one she loves most likely will just bring incredible hurt and shame and probably will destroy their relationship and his family will hate her and her family will be ashamed which is what happens and Joseph what's he supposed to do if, if, he, if he just kind of goes along with it and, and marries her everybody will assume it was him which will be a terrible stigma and shame for, for life in their culture and if he calls her out and, and, and condemns her she'll be ruined an adulterer scorned and rejected the rest of her life a widow for life so heartbroken gutted probably still in love and just wounded he resolves to just try to divorce her quietly he tries to do the just thing that's the atmosphere of the original Christmas. Relational disaster. 
pain, shame, brokenness. And you know, it seems a far cry from the tinsel and glitter of our holiday celebrations this season. But the truth is, it's not, is it? Because all the decorative stuff we do is just that, right? It's merely decoration. It's a facade. It's just surface decoration over the top. I think of the first snow in my yard, my backyard, right? Snow starts to fall, looks pretty, and it starts covering up that project I didn't finish, the fence that got blown over in the storm, the kids' bikes left out in the backyard, the barbecue that's been tipped over by the dog. But when it all settles down, it's just a blanket and it's beautiful. I mean, think about Spokane. It's not, it's not really any different at Christmas. As, as the crime rates are the same. The, the homeless are still on the streets. The, the drug addicts don't go away. The Department of Social and Health Services is, is hard at work. People are still sick and dying in the hospitals. Domestic violence is not only there, it increases. We've just put a lot of tinsel and lights and turned up the music. And this facade, this decoration, isn't just societal. It's, it's personal and real in our own lives and homes, in our hearts. We invite our friends over for Christmas, for Christmas parties, and imbibe the spirits. But the issues and the brokenness and the dysfunction is just under the surface. In fact, the dynamics of the holidays in the end tend to expose and amplify. Joel brought that up in his in his prayer, begins to break through all the issues. We're gathered in course, close quarters, and all the issues rise to the surface. We're reminded of that relative that can't stand us because of that hurtful thing that we said that they should just get over. And we're reminded of the one that we can't stand because of the hurtful thing they said to us. <laughs> Maybe they didn't even show up. And then there's the pain, perhaps, of the wayward adult child who's not there because they, they don't really like us anymore. And it makes us sad. But if they show up, they cause lack of attention, and that makes us mad. Or perhaps we're dealing with the frustrating time-sharing of children between families because of broken relationships of our past. And it's all, it's all hard, messy. And no matter how we decorate it, that is the relational reality behind many of the Christmas, family Christmas situations. And at some level, you probably relate to this and the mental health stats of the holidays coincide with this. Depression goes up, and domestic abuse increases, suicide rates go up. The Christmas season often reveals 
and amplifies all the relational brokenness in our lives. Here we are at our best with all the tinsel and glitter and presence, and it's really not that good because everything's just under the surface. But the amazing thing is something happened at that first Christmas situation that turned Mary and Joseph's mess and brokenness into complete and utter joy and celebration. Something so profound that it comes down to every single one of us today. It actually makes Christmas truly worth celebrating. It makes it a true time of joy and hope, even with all the issues. Something that actually allows us to be completely honest uh, about the reality and the dysfunction and the messiness and yet celebrate with all that we are. Look at verse 20. But as he considered these things, as Joseph is sitting there thinking about divorce, what he's going to do, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. An angel comes to Joseph in a dream, and he says two things. First of all, he says, don't fear to take her as your wife. Again, all the fear behind that, the, 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 the reputation, the, the reproach, the family shame, lots of fear. Don't fear. Why? Because it's true, Joseph. Mary's baby really is of the Holy Spirit. She isn't crazy. And furthermore, Joseph is to give this baby the name Jesus, which means God saves. Now, we, we don't think much today about the meaning of names, except maybe when we do the baby dedications. We, but we don't think of the names of having you know, significance that are going to drive the destiny of this child. I don't think about the fact that my name, William, which is my first name, by the way, means valiant protector. It fits, <laughs> but I don't think of it much. But in those days, names were taken very seriously. Parents gave them to to recognize a quality, to try and assign a destiny to their child. And here we have God assigning this name to this baby to be born of Mary. This baby is his salvation come to the world. And of course, if you know your Bible, you know this is a culmination moment. All the scriptures, all of history, history have been looking forward to this moment. Note how Joseph in verse 20 is addressed as Joseph, son of David. Well, that goes back to the genealogy, which is in chapter 1, just before this, which I won't read through the whole thing, but it's summed up in chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It traces it all the way back to Abraham, the first couple pages of our Bible. 
where God promised that he would send a savior through his line. And then he focused that savior through King David, that he would be one in the line of King David. We just saw that in 2 Samuel. And now, all this lineage and promise is coming to fulfillment in this child in Mary's womb. The son of David, Jesus, God saves, God rescues. And what is this long-awaited salvation about? Well, he saves his people from what? What does he come to save them from? Their sin. No, it's important to note that it doesn't say he'll save them from their relational dysfunction. He'll save them from their low self-esteem. He'll save them from their addictions. He'll save them from their problematic marriages, from their mental health issues, from their anxiety and their depression, from their gender dysphoria, from war and poverty, from domestic abuse. No. It says that he'll save them from their sins. All those things you see are symptoms of that core issue. All the brokenness out here are symptoms of a brokenness here. And you know, we're, we're, we're pretty adept as a society and as, as kind of the human beings over the years of developing techniques with dealing with all the symptoms. We have psychological counseling and social structures and laws and behavior modification and higher education and motivational seminars and psychotropic medications. All these techniques to deal with the symptoms. But they're never enough. They're like band-aids on sores that are coming up on your skin, but the problem is those sores are rooted in the fact that you have cancer. But we keep putting band-aids on the sores. They're never enough. They just sort of cover over things. They're a temporary fix at best. The sin, the capital S sin, deep inside us, the cancer of our soul is the problem. And that's what Jesus came to deal with, to save us from. The Bible says that sin ultimately isn't about all this relational brokenness. It's about this relational mess. It's about our relationship with God and the mess we've made of it. The Bible says that although God made us and loves us and gave us every good thing, we've turned away. We've decided to live in his world as if he doesn't exist. We've decided we're in charge of this world. We're in charge of our lives. We'll do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. And we're still doing it today. And it causes all the relational mess and dysfunction, all the symptoms Go back to that core. And it's brought this separation in our relationship with God who is, who's holy and perfect. Can't even look on it. We're under his just judgment. We're divorced from our God, our creator, our true father, the essence of who we are. And, and upon our deaths, this relational separation is realized in its fullness for eternity. And the Bible says it's terrible. That's what Jesus came to save us from. Sin. The core problem, our separation from God and the judgment that's on us came to bring us back into relationship with God, to bring us back to life. 
And when this happens, you see, when this is dealt with, then we start to see those relational issues begin to be restored and healed. A few years ago, well, actually, yeah, probably about five years ago, Robin and I, Robin works here, has worked at the church longer than me, we received a letter from a young couple that are down in South Carolina informing us that their marriage was doing great and that they were part of a good church and thanking us for our involvement in their lives. Do you know why we got that letter? Because about five years before that letter, they'd shown up here to church. It was Christmas time. They'd shown up, and uh, their names were Mary and Joseph. And they came because they'd never gone to church before, but one of them had discovered that the other had cheated in their marriage. And they were a mess. And they thought, maybe we should go to church. So Mary and Joseph showed up to church on the edge of divorce. And Robin and I met with them. The next day, they came into the office, and we met with them. And do you know what we talked about? We didn't talk about their marriage. We started to. But as we started to try to deal with their marriage, we realized they had a much bigger relational problem. They didn't know about their real issue. They didn't know about that the symptoms that they were dealing with in their life came because of their divorce from God. So we didn't really get into all the issues of their marriage. We began to help them with that. We began to talk about, I met with Joseph and she met with Mary and we talked about their own hearts and their rebellion and their sin and what Jesus had done about it. And as God began to work in their hearts that Christmas, like this first Christmas with with the original Mary and Joseph, it went from a season of relational disaster to the season of their salvation, a season of hope and restoration and joy in their lives. And as we learned from the letter later, for them, that began that restoration in their lives. A lot of the symptoms in their marriage began to heal because they let Jesus deal with the core. They got this right. These things began to heal. But how did Jesus do it? How did he deal with their sin? How did he deal with all our sin? How does this little baby save us from our sin, restore us back into relationship with God? Well, it has to do with his second name in this text. Right? He's given another name besides the name Jesus. Look at verse 22 and let's read. It says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's in parentheses. He wants us to know what it means. This whole drama was all part of God's plan, and it's even predicted by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years earlier, who said this child would have another name. His name will be Emmanuel, God with us. So put the two names together, Jesus, Emmanuel, God saves, 
God with us. This is his name, his destiny. God saves, God with us. This is who he is. The God who saves us by coming to be with us. The God who crosses the divide of our sin and enters into this world as one of us. You see, we couldn't do it the other way. We couldn't go in our sinfulness and, and, and go and be with God in his holiness. So God graciously humbled himself and came to us. He really became one of us. He entered fully into our lives. He came from his pure, spiritual, perfect, heavenly home and entered headfirst into the messy, sinful reality of this world, of our lives. And if you follow the life of Jesus through the gospel, through this gospel, through any of the gospel stories, you will see this illustrated so clearly. He, he knew the ugliness of relational dysfunction and tension. His own family thought he was crazy. My family and I started watching the, sh uh, the show, the, the series, The Chosen. And in that, you, you get a feel for Matthew and Peter, Matthew the tax collector. He said, man, these guys had issues. These were real dudes with problems in their marriages and all kinds of issues. Mary Magdalene's messy situation. He knew that stuff. He knew betrayal from his good friends, Jesus did. He knew hate and hurt and sorrow. He entered into all the shame. And talk about suffering. He knew the suffering of this world in a way we never even know in our own lives. Why did he enter into it like that? It's real simple. Because you can't help if you're not willing to get dirty. You can't help someone in a terrible mess if you won't enter the mess. It's really simple. We know this truth, right? There was a show that used to be on, I don't know if it's still on, it's a show called Dirty Jobs with uh, Mike Rowe. I don't know if you saw the show, but he'd go do some terrible dirty job and he would always enter into the job. He would put on the uniform and do it with him. And by the end of the show, that guy was never clean. He was a mess because he came to get involved, to do the work. And what comes to our lives relationally, that's what people who love us do. They move towards us in our mess, even if it causes them pain and hardship and emotional trauma. They come alongside, and they empathize, they struggle with us because they care. They don't stand back and say, you know, yell instructions. Hey, you got yourself into this mess, get yourself out, head that way. No. I remember a friend of mine, is, we were having a barbecue with the family, and there was a pool, kids were swimming, and his, his child was out there, and he saw that it looked like they were struggling, and he darted across the yard and jumped in the pool. He didn't start yelling instructions, hey. I remember when the, we had the Ebola crisis and the doctors that came from other countries to help, they entered in to the mess. Some of them got contaminated. Some of them caught Ebola. Why? Because that was the only way to really help. Jesus, to save us from our sins, entered in 
He came fully into our sinful mess out of sheer love, and he took it all on him. He got filthy, contaminated with our sin. That's the incredible truth of Christmas. It's why we celebrate. But there's something, another, another thing important to remember here that we, wouldn't, we have to know or we wouldn't be celebrating, and that is that Emmanuel means God with us. Although he came to be with us and even became one of us and entered into our mess, Jesus was still God. He was God as a baby in the manger. He was God as he walked in, on this earth as a young man. He was God relating and living with us in our mess. He was God experiencing our humanity and our struggle and our pain. He was God. This is crucial. Because as God, he could do more than just enter into our mess with us. He could actually intercede for us. He could, he could do more than merely be with us in our suffering and say, they're there, and comfort us. He could actually do something. He could act for us. He came to be with us so that he could act for us. You see, I, I could try to enter in in your situation and try to help you with your sinful mess, get my hands dirty with your dirt, but I'm limited by my own mess and my own sinfulness. I bring my mess to yours. In the end, I, I'm not much help. I probably just compound the situation. It's kind of like jumping into the pool to help you, but I can't swim. I'm just going to drag you down with the weight of my sin, in a sense. But Jesus, in his full humanity, entered in fully into our mess. In his full divinity, he intercedes for us all of us. That's what the end of his life was about. To understand Christmas, we have to look to the cross. To celebrate his birth, we have to look to his death, ultimately. You see, at the cross, as true man, Jesus could step into our place and take all our sin and judgment, but as true God, he could conquer it. He could give his life, his divine life, for all of us, it was big enough to pay for all of us, our sin, our judgment. All of us, for all time, he conquered death. Jesus, fully man, fully God, brought full atonement, full forgiveness, full salvation. He opened the way back to God and to true restoration, healing in our lives that begins now. All the symptoms... They're still out there. They're still in our lives. But restoration can begin. That's, that's why Mary and Joseph's suffering and sorrow will turn to utter joy. Their circumstances didn't change, by the way. Mary still was viewed as a sinful woman of shame, and Joseph would bear the reproach of society for his perceived sin and violation of this young woman. Jesus, their son, would later be mocked as Mary's son, kind of deleting Joseph from the equation, the implication being obvious. It was a stigma on them for life. 
but they are celebrating because they know their salvation has come. They're saved. This is why Christmas Christians have been celebrating Jesus' birth ever since. It's why we're here this morning. Jesus is God with us, God's salvation. This is why Joseph responds the way he does here. Look at verse 24. Let's finish the text. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph, at that point, he was willing to to bear the reproach, the stigma of being, uh, you know, connected to Jesus, of, of being a Christian. I just want to ask you if you know the real meaning of Christmas this year. And I don't mean in your head, I mean right here, in your heart. Have you gotten past the, the facade? Not the facade of the holidays, but this facade. The pretending. See, quite often we try to live our life like we live in the holidays. Decorating over all the dysfunction and brokenness. We have our twinkle lights on and our decorative smile. As if things were perfect inside. We got this. It's, it's good. I'm a good person. Can't you see it? See all the twinkle? No, Jesus came to save us from our sin. He entered in. He took it on him. He conquered even our death. But if you really want to know his salvation, if you want to know real Christmas joy, then you've got to be real. You've got to be honest about your sin before him. You've got to turn from it. Ask him for forgiveness and salvation new life don't fear take the risk like Joseph who cares what your friends will say and think who cares about the stigma Jesus is your salvation this can be the year that you move beyond the temporary feeling of Christmas that fades into the ugly reality to know the joy of your salvation Just pray with me now. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking all my sin and messed up life. Thank you for taking on my judgment. Thank you for dying in my place. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Heal me. Bring me real life, your life. And help me to live my life for you as you live for me every day. Pray these things in your name. Amen.